Thanks, everyone, for coming. Um, this is uh, event number two for a graphic novel symposium where we're dealing with all kinds of things related to art, comic books, movies, games, geeky stuff. So um, we're happy that you're here. Hope you'll um, take some time to look at our comic shops out uh, in the hallway. They have good stuff and good prices. Um, additionally, we want to thank Espresso Love, our coffee bar. They're helping to support our program this year. So go buy a cup of coffee and make them happy. Today, uh, we're doing something different than we've done in the past with this, where um, we have kind of the business side of comic books and publishing. And so we have a publisher, publishing house from the city here, and also publishers. And they're going to talk about uh, printers and that relationship between them. So I'm excited about this. Let me do quick introductions. We have um, writer David Gruba and artist Renee Castellano from Instant Press Comics. Thank you both for being here. And we have Jacob Way and Samantha um, Amborn, who's on her way from, <laughs> right, Invisible, from Crack and Print. So I want to thank all of you for giving of your time to talk to us. And with that, I'll turn it over to them. Thanks. Good afternoon. Can you hear me? OK. Um, thank you for coming out for our lecture, uh, From Pencils to Print. I am David Gruba. And I'm a writer and editor for Instant Press Comics. And with me today, as Troy said, is Renee Castellano, who is artist and publisher for Instant Press Comics. And then Jacob Way from Kraken Print and Sam Amborn, who will be here shortly. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about how Renee and I work together on comics and then get into self-publishing. And then Jacob and Sam are going to talk about the printing end of it. Um, but at this point, I'm going to let Renee talk a little bit, just give a little background on Instant Press itself. Uh, yes, hi, I'm Renee, um, as been mentioned twice already. <laughs> um, and first, I'd like to thank Troy for having us out here. Um, thank you so much and for being just such a gracious host. Um, he's been very helpful and supportive. And we're just going to be discussing a little bit of the technical side. So if you were here for the earlier class, um, he had all drawings and all this fun stuff. and everything going on, we're going to have all the boring stuff. <laughs> but hopefully it's something educational and it helps anyone who's interested or who ever thought about going into this type of field or doing it on the side. Um, so it doesn't have to be boring. It could be educational for a lot of people. And Jacob, do you have anything to add? We're going to talk about boring print stuff, but I'll try to make it exciting, I promise. So there you have it. We're going to be very boring for the next hour. <laughs> and this is Sam, by the way, not just some stranger. Sam. <laughs> not great. There we go. So back to Dave, who will kick us off. Oh, I guess I'm supposed to talk about Instant Press Comics, which you see the picture up there. Um, we are Instant Press Comics, and we do, we do um, some printing of other people's work. Um, We've worked with different creators, different writers, different artists, and just people who have their own ideas, people that have their own vision of what they want to do as far as comic books. Uh, so we don't do, we don't really deal with, and I was just about to say, you know, your typical superhero stuff. We <laughs> really only have one superhero <laughs> title in our in our whole catalog. Everything else that we do is very indie, and it really shows that we have a variety of indie type um, books and feels. So when you look through our stuff, we're not traditional, we're not superhero, we're not vigilante, we're not, um, you know, just this whole continuity of 
you have to know backstories and you have to know secret origins or who's tied with whom or who is doing what. Everything is self-contained. Everything is in the books that we have. So you don't have to look, research, look into a rich history of anything. Um, we're it. We're our, we're our own universe. We're our own books. We do our own things. We're, we do our own ideas. So again, we do work with different people and they come up with different ideas. Working with them is you know, part of that technical aspect where you don't hear this boring part of it um, as far as we have to deal with uh, contracts, we have to deal with um, negotiating prices, we have to deal with um, how stuff is gonna get distributed, where the funding is gonna go, how they're gonna be funded, how we're going to be funded, and um, that's a big challenge as far as publishing goes. Um, a lot of it sounds fun when you're thinking about doing your own books, but if you're gonna look into other publishers, you have to deal with that aspect. It's not just a clear and cut, I have an idea, let's go with it. You have to work out what's gonna happen five years down the road, 10 years down the road, what's gonna happen with your characters, what's gonna happen with any royalties that you might have, um, anything where your artwork is gonna be used, will it be used just for the books, will it be used for promotional items, will it be used anywhere else? Um, so there's a lot, of technicality, a lot of technicality that goes with it. Um, so I'm gonna break away from the boring stuff right now. <laughs> I'm gonna bring it back to Dave and he's just gonna talk about what we do as far as our stuff goes. Uh, as Renee was saying, we work with a lot of different people and um, publish uh, comics by other people as well. And um, even though Instant Press has been around since 2001, it wasn't until 2009 that Renee and I actually started working on a book together. Um, we've worked on our own books, we've worked on books with other people, but then in 2009 we started working on a series together. Um, the series is called Tales of the Wolfman, and it starts with Bride of the Wolfman, which is a spin on Red Riding Hood. It's uh, basically what if Red Riding Hood met the wolf, fell in love, and married him, but he's a wolf man. And so his friends are monster characters, her friends are all fairy tale characters, and it's um, like everyday life, but if you were a fairy tale character and a, a wolf man. Um, so that I had written it, and I had, as, since it was very cartoony to me, I thought Renee's style would fit very well with it, and so I said, let's do this book together. Um, now, as far as writing, comic books are written as scripts, and the way most comic book scripts are written is it's broken down by page and then broken down by panel, and the writer basically tells the artist what is happening in each of the panels. Um, I like to give the artist a little freedom, and I think the artist probably has a better idea of how to lay the page out. And so basically, I break mine down by page, as you can see here, and I tell what's happening on the page. It is broken down into segments, which could be broken into panels, but um, I try to leave that open to the artist to decide, should these segments be separate? Can I combine any of these segments? And so I also include the dialogue so that the artist understands where the word balloons are gonna come in, so when they're working on it, the artwork doesn't get covered up by the, the words. And so once I've written the script, I turn it over to Renee, and then he takes a look at it and starts coming up with some ideas. You want to talk to him about that? I come up with ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and then after, he, so we talk about it a little bit, 
and he might throw some things at me saying the way I describe things aren't going to work, or he may have some ideas that would, you know, change it a little bit. And after we discuss it for a little while, then he goes to doing the pencils. And here's a sample of the first page of pencils that he did based on my script. And so you can see there, his, there's the script, and that's Renee's interpretation in pencils of that page. And once he has the pencils done, he may come back to me again and show them to me and say, you know, what do you think and all that. So it becomes a real collaborative effort. A lot of times with, I think, writers and artists, the writer writes the script, sends it off to the artist, and then the artist just interprets what the writer wrote, as I said, because he's writing it pretty constrictive, what he wants to see in each panel. There's times that I want to see certain things, and I'll convey that to Renee, but what I think is good about our relationship is that we can work on it together, and, and his art adds to my words, not just, his art is not just an interpretation of my words. So, Renee does the pencils, and then if you want to go ahead into the rest of the art process. Uh, so pretty much like what he was saying is that he gives me a script, I look it over, I kind of read through, and as an artist, I have to say to myself, um, does this make sense, or would this make sense? Is this going to flow right? Is the idea going to um, come together? And it's my job to get that message across, to, to do what he is asking. And, I mean, it's... It, you know, it's not always a perfect harmony of, you know, oh, here's these drawings. Oh, great, I love it. Let's go with it. Um, <laughs> there's been a couple of battles. I think one of my favorite ones, which I can't illustrate right now, is him trying to tell me about drawing little figures in the foreground and big figures in the background. And I try to explain how come that doesn't work. You know, <laughs> you, I'm like, your sense of perspective is off. Um, to which point he said, I don't understand why you can't do this. And I said, Here's paper and pencil. You draw it and see how that makes sense to you. Um, to which he did, and it did not make sense to him, <laughs> thankfully. So um, sometimes artists are right on what they're trying to say. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I try not to constrict him by my script at all, because I know he, you know, obviously I'm not an artist. And so he has a better idea of how things work. And so if I just want him to interpret my script, but not be constricted by it. And I think that that helps both of us. Right. <laughs> we don't have we don't have anything with the calf, do we? No, I don't have that. No. Okay. My favorite my favorite thing to talk about, and actually, um, somebody that looked at our book earlier mentioned about a, a calf that we had in there, and it's one of the it's one of my favorite um, visual gags is that in his script he wrote um, that the character is gonna eat very rare steak. And as, as, as an artist, I'm looking at the script saying, how do you illustrate rare steak? Because it's a black and white comic, and it's just hard to say, you know, um, you know, is it going to be red? Is it going to be pink? It's black and white. You can't tell. Am I going to draw blood? Is people going to understand that that's blood that's around it? So what I did, instead of drawing steak, I just drew a calf on a plate. A live like, that's calf. A live calf. So <laughs> it's like, that's rare steak. <laughs> And a lot of people really like that. It's something that he didn't write, but I just did that visually because I couldn't figure it out. So and It became kind of a running joke in the comic. Um, as you can see from the uh, cover, there's a calf in the basket there. <laughs> and so uh, every now and then it kind of plays into the, the yeah. other issues of the comic as well. Because it was just, and that's one of those things, like, even though I didn't write that, he just added something to the whole thing that I didn't even think of, and it just really worked and so that's why I like that we can work on it together as opposed to here I wrote this now draw it you know 
And I'm sorry, just to state that is not their pet, that is their lunch. Yeah. Well, his lunch anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the girl does not eat roast steak. <laughs> she doesn't eat roast steak. So anyway, so then uh, if you want to continue with the process. All right, so then, yeah, the process is pretty much, you know, he looks over the pencils. He tells me if he likes it, if he doesn't like it, if he wants anything changed, if he wants anything added. And once he approves it, I go ahead and I ink it. So the inking part of it is just, well, the way that books were done before, before technology really took into effect, is that you had to ink these items so that the reproduction could come out you know, nice and clear. Nowadays, with the way that the scanners work, they pick up a lot of pencil work, and you can actually just take that pencil, take it into Photoshop, and bump it up so it looks like it's inked. Um, but I still ink traditionally because I still like it. Uh, so we go from there into adding the letters. So yeah, that's just a comparison of the pencils. To yeah, that's a comparison. So you see the pencils, you see the inks, the finished work, and then drop in the words. So now this is incorporating my art, his words, and that's what you get. You get a um, girl pulling a shotgun on a wolf man. <laughs> Yeah, there's lots of things in there that Renee, like I basically said that Wolfman was eating a large piece of meat. Uh, he eats a lot of meat, obviously. And uh, when he comes to the door, so Renee had to interpret that as well. Like I didn't describe that it was just a you know, chunk on a piece of bone. And so again, his art added to the story, I feel. You know, it brought more to it. And even with her like whipping out the shotgun out of a basket, you know, I mean, that's you know, I can imagine, I can write that, but to somebody, for somebody to interpret it is a whole other thing. So then there's where you go from my script to the finished product. And um, that's basically how we work together on the comic. And it's been really successful so far. Um, do you have any closing notes on our collaboration? Well, as far as um, our collaboration goes, it's a lot of fun. Um, the first book, Bride of the Wolfman was written by him entirely, whereas um, he was actually shopping that around to see if anybody would want to work on it or pick it up or anything. Um, and then we just decided that I was going to draw it. So when we did House of the Wolfman, that was a true collaboration on the story. You know, he came to me with this idea that um, Little Red Riding Hood would be having lunch with um, the classic horror um, ladies, you know, so like Bride of Frankenstein and other characters, but he couldn't think of any other female characters. And I said, well, why would um, Red Riding Hood's uh, friends be the monsters? Why wouldn't they be the fairy tale characters? And he just rewrote everything from right there. You know, he put in Little Miss Muffet, he put Little Bo Peep, he put um, Goldilocks. So now all of a sudden, and then that's that where that, that played clicked. into a lot of interesting things with sheep bears and all this kind of stuff. They all were griping about the the animals they live with, you know. And it was basically because Red felt that Wolf wasn't being cooperative with her. And so when she heard them all griping, it kind of made her think, hey, he's not so bad after all, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that really did uh, take it to another level. So um, yeah, that was definitely a whole collaborative effort. Yeah, so I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, you know. If he gets just stuck on one little thing, it's it's really fun to you know, get that phone call or something and it's just like, hey, what do you think if we did this? Or what do you think would happen if this were to, you know, this were to come up? And I can just tell him, oh, well, why don't we just throw this in? Or why don't we do this? And he doesn't go with the idea like 100%. He's like, oh, that's a good idea. And then sometimes I'll see something completely different. <laughs> but he got the, you know, the thought process going. 
um, it, it gets that ball rolling again to where it's just like, you know, you notch off something. Okay, we're not going to go with this, but let's do this. Um, so anyway, so then once we have the book done, um, how do you how do you get it printed? How do you get it published? And what do you, how do you get it out there? And um, so Renee handles the side of publishing on the book, and I try to help out with the getting it out there. <laughs> um, but uh, he has to handle the more technical side. I try to stay out of that stuff. Um, so Renee's going to talk a little bit about getting the book from the pages to actual print. Um, yeah, and again, this is the boring part of it. This is the <laughs> part where, you know, if you look at any comics, like behind the scenes or anything, you you know, I think Family Guy said it best, you know, like you get 80s montage and you get something done in like five minutes, but that's not how that works. You, It's a lot of put your stuff on a scanner, scan it. Did it pick up all the line work? Did it cut off anything? Now you have it into Photoshop. Now you have to edit. Now you have to convert it. You have to you know, drop it out into Illustrator, you have to add the letters, you have to do layers, you have to do all sorts of things to it. So there's a lot of process and a lot of behind the scenes, and it's, it is a lot of um, extra work. Once you're done with the artwork, that doesn't mean you're done with the book. Now you have to format it, you have to digitize it, you have to get it ready for printing, and you'll hear about that in a bit from um, the people who, who have been silent on this side over here. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hello. <laughs> from Sam. Hi, Renee. Hi, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> and so Dave. Happy birthday, Dave. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and it was Dave's birthday. Yes. So we'll be singing later, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry, there's no free cake afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would boo too. <laughs> Dave. <Sorry>. No. Um, <laughs> Uh, but there is a lot of uh, technical pro um, things that you do have to do afterwards. And yes, you do have to work in Photoshop. You have to use Illustrator. Illustrator, I recommend just for lettering. Um, I've been told also InDesign is better for lettering. Um, but it, I mean, it's a pain in the butt. You know, it's it's a harsh process, but in the end, it gets everything you know printed up nicely. And if there is anything wrong, as I've experienced with working with Kraken Print, especially with Sam, <laughs> Sam usually shoots me an email, Renee, there's something wrong, there's something going on with this stuff, your stuff is not true blacks, your stuff is not bleeding like it should, and it's just like, <laughs> okay, <It's> like, <laughs> thank you, Sam. <laughs> no, thank you, Sam. <laughs> um, because of her, we get some wonderful product. And um, these books are actually sitting up here. This is from Kraken Print. These books are sitting up here because everybody here can receive a free copy after the lecture. So not we're, a we're piece like of Oprah. cake. Yeah. We have a free book for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Look under it your chairs. There's a like car. Cake. Yeah. No cake. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Please do not lick the books. <laughs> um, and then yes, getting into that process of um, once you print your books, uh, you have to get your quotes. You have to get, you know, when you're working on this stuff, you have to submit to your printer because you don't want this shock to come afterwards, especially when you're pricing your books. You know, where does that price come in? Where does it come from? It's because of them. You <laughs> submit, you tell them, I want full color cover, I want black and white interiors, or I want color interiors, how much is that gonna cost? They shoot you back an email, it's like, this is what it's gonna cost for this many copies, that many copies, or so on. If you want extra you know, embossing, if you want extra little details on your cover, 
wow. you know, something to make it look, you know, stand out, something that's nice to feel, they will let you know. They'll get you those quotes, and from there, that's when you're, that's when you're gonna price your books. That's when you're gonna say, okay, I spent about four, four or five weeks doing this. It takes longer. Um, <laughs> but let's say you spent four weeks. You spent a lot of time buying coffee. You had to do this, you had to do that. You had to pick up supplies. And now you gotta pr pay for the printing. You're gonna have to pay for shipping. What's that gonna cost? And that's where you factor in your, your, your book cost. You wanna price it at $3. You know, let's say your each copy comes out to be maybe a dollar each. You want a $2 markup. You want a $4 markup, you know, if you wanna price your book at $5. And the thing you gotta remember is, is your book gonna be um, that good enough that you can sell it for $5 and get your money back? Then you also have to factor in future cost. What are future costs? What's it gonna cost me to go to a local convention? How much is the price of a table gonna be? How much is it gonna cost for me to park? And then that's when you start figuring out carpooling, <laughs> yeah. local transportation, <laughs> you know, hey, hey guys, do you guys got a hotel room? Could I stay there? Exactly. Yeah, you know, hey. You bring, you know. bring a cooler to the convention with your own drinks mm. and food. Yes, don't pay $5 for a bottle of water at the conventions. You sleep under your table. Yeah. Sleep yeah. under the table well, if they let we you. <laughs> we don't advise it. Yeah. I don't think any of us have done it, have we? No. No, okay, thankfully we have not done that. <laughs> But that's where that cost of the book is gonna be. How many books do you think you can sell? How many books do you think you can push? Do not get discouraged on your first outing. Oh, I only sold two books. It cost me you know, $2,000 for all of this stuff, and I sold two books. I didn't get my, my return. I quit. No, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Give it a year. Give it, you know, take your book around. Go to conventions, go to signings. Do uh, symposiums. There you go. One, one of the things I, recommend to people too is a lot of times they'll put out a book and I'll look at the price on it and the price is very reasonable and I ask them well why do you have a price so low and they're like well because I want it to sell so I always tell people to price it a little bit higher because then at a show you could always sell it at a special price if you want if you're looking to move it but if you already put it at that special price you're already cutting yourself down and you you may move those books but you're not making as much a profit and so that way you have the option, you know, if, if it's a really big show where you've spent lots of money for a table and you're traveling or whatever, then you want to keep it at that regular price. But if you're at a smaller show or a symposium, you may sell it for like a little bit cheaper price and you could do that if you have the higher price on there. So don't, don't uh, cut yourself short either. Yeah, because I mean after that year, after you have that year of having a book on a table and you come out with another book, well, people the previous year probably have already bought it. Everyone's probably already got your book. They want to buy the other book. And then what do you do with that stack of books that you have? Well, now you could mark it down a dollar. You can mark it down $2 if you want. So I mean, there's ways to get a return on your money. Uh, you always want to keep that in mind. You always want to keep in mind what you're going to be doing afterwards, not just all the struggle that you had beforehand. You want to think short-term, long-term. Um, so just keep a lot of that in mind. And then getting into the, going back into working with other people, that's kind of what we started to do. And um, it is a headache. It's a headache and a half. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I'm not gonna say we have a lot of fun. There's a lot of great memories because there's a lot more worse memories that I remember. <laughs> but 
But those become those become funny memories after a while. <laughs> they become funny memories to him. <laughs> he laughs, and I'm just like, um, yeah, I wasn't happy. I'm still not happy. He's like, well, I'm still happy, jerk. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but when you're working with people, you really have to wrangle them in. You kind of have to be their eyes also. When they're working on something, they just see their baby. They see themselves poured into these books. And if you're publishing, you have to be able to look at it at a, as a business sense and say, you know, this is a great idea, but you might want to do this. I'm not going to talk or you know, point somebody out, but there was one of the slides that showed someone like that. And their artwork was, they were trying to mimic a manga type style which America still had not adopted yet. And nowadays it would make sense, but I don't think his book still conveys that message. But he was trying to do a lot of different tricky cuts in his book that we were not used to seeing. And I said, you might want to do that a different way. No, no, I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm doing. Um, it's like, okay, you might want to change this, you might want to change that. Uh, no, 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 this is exactly how I want it. By the time he was done, by the time he got a, the reception of his book, I'm not happy with my book. And, yeah, I was upset. And he has since been trying to, uh, what would you call it? He's been trying to reinvent Reboot himself. Yes, um, but he just was not happy with his own product. I had put money into it. I never got my return on it. He never got back into it. And again, that's where you have to step in if you're going to be in the publisher's shoes and say, you need to change this. You need to work on this. You're going to have to, you know, this is going to be an issue. This is going to be a problem. Um, so that's where I have to come in and kind of be the bad guy. I should have been the bad guy with him at, from the start instead of, okay, yeah, go ahead. I'm not going to stifle your creativity. You know, I know what it's like to be an artist. We're free. We're free thinkers. We know what we're doing. Dave. Um, I'm just going to pick on him. <laughs> um, but in the end, if, if, it's, if it's your money that you're putting into the business, you have to put your foot down sometimes. You have to make sure that you, you're protecting your investment, you're protecting your future. Um, so again, this is kind of why we've, um, we've kind of just closed off our doors to open policy and to taking submissions. And we kind of reformatted the company to just be us and our ideas. Um, so we do work with outside artists. We work with outside groups. But it's our ideas. Our you know We're in control of what we're doing. And so this way, when we're paying someone, um, Dave actually had a situation where someone took his four-page story, turned it into eight pages, and then changed the location, changed the characters. He, and we're like, OK, first off, we agreed to pay you for four pages we didn't budget to pay you for eight pages. So we have an issue right off the bat. Next, um, just to describe the scene, it was supposed to take place in a warehouse. He put it in a Led Zeppelin because he thought that would look cool. But you have a bunch of guys with machine guns. So if they shoot anyone, what's going to happen? It's like, um, exactly, thank you. <laughs> like the shirt. Um, <laughs> so yeah. That, that balloon's gonna go down with everyone. You're gonna have one guy, oh, I'm gonna be the hero, bam! You just killed everyone, good job. Um, so yeah, he had to put his foot down. Like The guy actually drew five pages of this story. He had to put his foot down and say, no, I'm sorry, this is my script, this is my story, I want you to redraw it. And he did, he actually did do it. 
um, and he did a fantastic job at it. He, he really brought out what Dave had in mind. But this is what you have to do also when you're working with people. This is your creation, but now you get to step in and say, this is not the vision I had. This is what I want. I need you to stick to this because I am paying you for this. We need what? Uh-oh. Hi. <laughs> Hello, everybody. So <laughs> Dave is telling me to wrap it up because <laughs> we haven't heard from Jacob and Sam, uh -oh. and I'm getting passionate about what we're doing. <laughs> um, but I know that you guys want to also find out like where these books come from, how they get priced, what happens, what can you do with these books, and that's where these guys come in. These guys are amazing. I'm gonna tell a little story just before I turn uh -oh. it over, but we were at a convention and they said, oh, this guy came up and he does printing, of, you know, comic book printing, you should talk to him. So when Jacob came back over, I used to work in printing myself, and Jacob came over and I'm like, I'm gonna grow this guy. <laughs> I'm gonna ask him every question under the book. He was jealous under of Under the hair. sun, oh, yeah, I was jealous <laughs> of the hair. I really was. Um, <laughs> and I was lost in his eyes. But I was just like, I gotta stay focused. So I grilled him, I, I asked him every question, which I found out actually later on that Sam coached him on a lot of that <laughs> stuff. But he answered so many questions correctly and that the, it blew my mind. I had talked to other printers and they showed me some really horrible samples. They showed me, you know, they couldn't answer everything that I wanted right away. He did so great. And then when I talked to Sam, she was fantastic. She helped me make sure that my book came out the best that it could. So I'm gonna turn it over to these guys. These guys are the magic makers. <laughs> All right. So just to wrap into what they were saying, thank you very much, Renee. I appreciate that. Thank um, you. I was a little worried when you were grilling me, but it turned <laughs> out okay, I guess. Just to wrap it back up to what they're saying, I'm curious, how many of you are taking art classes? If you raise your hands. Just one? Writing classes, anything? Okay, we've got a couple. So we got a lot of writers. A lot of writers. Oh, a lot of writers. How many are taking Yay, business classes? writers. Anybody taking business? Two, three? All right, we travel all over the country, me and Sam here, and we talk to hundreds of artists, writers, creators, and the best ones we see always have a good business mind. So if you're considering going into the comic book industry, like Renee said, you have to focus also on business as well. So take marketing classes, take business classes, learn how to manage people and artists so they don't screw up your four-page story. <laughs> <laughs> There's all sorts of things you can learn that aren't just artistic, you know, learning to write, learning to draw. You know, you have to learn how to work with people and how to manage your own brand. So that's something very important. So just to give you a little bit of introduction, I'm Jacob. You've heard that like three or four times. And this is Sam. Um, I'm the salesperson, and Sam is the pre-press person. So she does all the files, all the boring stuff, you know, all that stuff. Um, we actually print in Taiwan, and we ship it to the U.S., and we have a warehouse in Chicago. Um, this is called a print broker. Um, you'll see a lot of these when you start searching for a printer. Um, it's very common, but what we do is a little bit different. We actually do all of the pre-press, all of the uh, file reviews, all of your templates, all of the customer service in Chicago. So a lot of the other printers you'll see will will farm it out to you know whatever country they're printing in. So you really want to do a lot of research when you start looking at a printer. You have to think about like what Renee was saying, how many copies you can sell, you know, what kind of special stuff you want to do. Do you want to do a saddle stitch, which is what we call this, or floppy? 
do you want to do a perfect bound? Do you want to do a hardcover? And you have to partner with your printer early on to make sure that you have good prices, to make mm -hmm. sure you have everything covered, because uh, we cannot tell you how many stories we have of people that were over budget because they didn't plan and talk to a printer, or you know they they uh, waited till the last minute to try to try to print a hardcover book and they had no good files, all their stuff was screwed up, and it just adds to the complication that is working with a printer. Because a lot of this stuff, you guys have probably never even you know created a print file. If you have, then you guys are already ahead of the ahead of the the course here. But um, you know, a lot of things like boring stuff like bleed and what's CMYK versus RGB, which Sam will go over here. <laughs> uh, all that stuff people don't really consider, and you could be creating all of your art the wrong way, and when you go to print it, it's going to turn out like crap. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's that's the, the that is a technical term. Yes, that is a very technical <laughs> term. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so there's a lot of things you have to consider, and there, there's a lot of reasons why you have to partner with somebody like us, or you know, somebody that fits your needs early in, in early in the process. So what I always suggest is, um, when you first start thinking about an idea, and you say, "Hey, I want to actually create this product. I want to put it out there." And this is not just necessarily comic books. This is anything. You start looking for a vendor. You start looking at what kind of scope you want to do it at. So um, if you're going to go on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, I'm sure you're all familiar with those. Um, they're great ways to raise money. Or if you're self-funding, uh, you have to think of your budget. And then you kind of have to think of printing that way. What, what kind of budget am I working with? Instead of, you know, I want to make this, this, and this, you have to do it based off your budget because you can't spend more money than you have, right? That's, that's pretty basic. <laughs> um, but uh, we, there's two different types of printers that you want to look at. There's, there's digital printers, which are like uh, big uh, inkjet. I'm sure they have digital printers actually at the school. They're just gigantic machines that just spray ink on the paper. And the cool thing about these printers is you can do like one, two, three copies and not have to worry about having a gigantic budget. And then there's offset printers, which that's what we specialize in. We only do offset printing. And that is what all of the comic book industry does. They all do offset printing. Like everything here you see is offset. Everything from DC, Marvel, Image, any of your favorite comic books that you buy in a store, 90% of the stuff out here is offset. So um, that's really the way to make money. You can't make money off of digital. You're, you're paying double to triple the price you would for, for digital and that, that you do offset. So it's really something you have to consider. You know, am I just trying this idea out or am I actually going to try to make a profit on it? Um, that's something to consider, you know, as far as you don't want to put too much money into something you're just trying out. You know, you don't want to spend $1,200, $1,000 on something you're not exactly sure about. So I uh, just want to step in for a second. Renee and I have used both types of printing. And print-on-demand is nice in the sense that you can order a smaller amount. You're not tied into, uh, you know, a uh, minimum of like 500, and so you are the the amount you're putting out is less, but you are paying more, you know, per book. Um, but it it as Jacob said, if you if it's something that you're trying out and you want to see how it goes, then that that would be the way to go. But if you have a book that you want to put out and really get out there. You need to go with the offset printing. And like I said, we've done both, and we are you know, working more with Kraken and doing more offset printing now again. And it, the books, it makes a big difference. 
So just to give you like an idea on price, something like this, which they have marked for $4, probably sell for $3 at conventions. Um, this would cost you $1.50 to $2 to print digitally. So now your profit margin goes down to a dollar, to a dollar fifty, right? Offset, it's seventy cents, eighty cents, somewhere around there. So now every issue you sell is an extra seventy cents to a dollar twenty profit, um, and that really does make a difference, especially when you're working with stores, distributors. One of the biggest distributors you guys will hear is Diamond, and they take sixty to seventy percent of your cover price. So if you sell this for three dollars you're only going to get a dollar and 15 cents, a dollar. So if you're trying to print it digitally, you're losing money every issue you sell. And to tell you the truth, this actually happens a lot because a lot of creators don't have that business mind. They don't look into, okay, how can I make my product cheaper? How can I actually make money off of it? They don't look into that kind of stuff. So it's really important to partner with a printer, to partner with whoever you're doing production with. If you're not, if you're not into books, you want to do... Uh, prints, you want to do postcards, you want to do buttons, you have to find a good uh, production uh, company. If you don't, you're going to pay for it, unfortunately. So I'm going to move it over to <laughs> Sam here, and she's going to talk a little bit about file basics. We won't bore you too much with it, I promise. Yeah. If you fall asleep, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Basically, I won't go too far into things, considering there's more writers than artists, um, but knowing the limitations of print. Um, I run into the same problems over and over again, where um, artists are creating things digitally and expect them to turn out perfectly in the print world. Um, an example of this, we just did a, a comic book where a young lady created a lot of pages in a bright royal blue color. Of course, on screen, everything is in an RGB color mode. That's typically, I mean, that's the color, uh, the color used for, you know, laptops, TVs, um, camera Basically, screens. that's RGB. Yeah. This is CMYK. Um, I guess, yeah, I'll get that out of the way. So printing is a CMYK four-color process. You've got four colors, cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. And all those colors are laid down on top of each other to create colors. Um, when you're looking at colors on the screen, they might appear more vibrant, vivid. As soon as that stuff is converted into a CMYK color model, things tend to get muddy, dull down, especially certain colors like blue. So she had this gorgeous royal blue color, and as soon as I converted it, it ended up being more of a blue-purple. <laughs> a blue-purple. And, you know, I kind of forewarned her that this was going to happen, and, you know, we ultimately she, she was happy with the product, but she was a little disappointed that it didn't turn out exactly how she wanted it. So... Um, just make sure that your artist is working in a CMYK profile from the get-go so you don't have those expectations of, you know, certain colors. Um, also, like, layouts. You know, he kind of touched on it. You know, having a, a good idea of what you plan on doing with your artwork, if it's going to be a floppy comic or a hard cover or a soft cover. Each one of these have different limitations for laying them out. 
Um, a lot of times I'll see customers, they create a comic and the pages actually need to be modified slightly to do a hardcover or um, hardcover is the biggest thing. A lot of people will create the hardcover artwork two size. So like an eight and a half by 11 book, they'll create the cover artwork eight and a half by 11. What you really don't know is that the bleed area, the, the cover artwork actually needs to be extended almost an inch out width and height wise so it can actually wrap around the hard board. A lot of people, they don't know that. So initially when they're setting up their files, you know, and then we have to figure out a solution to make it work. Um, or um, what's another one that I run into? Um, so with hardcover and soft covers, you know, now you're adding more comics. The book's getting thicker. The binding area is going to be tighter. Some of that content might be hidden in the spine area, whereas a, s a floppy comic, if you can open that, in a floppy comic, you can open it up, and if there's text bubbles close to the spine area, you can read this no problem. As you add more pages to it, it gets tighter to, the pages become harder to open and lay flat. So, you know, having the, the foresight, so yeah, you open <laughs> <it up to> <laughs> <laughs> having the foresight of, you know, if you have comics that eventually one day you would like to turn into like a trade, a soft cover, do you have a soft cover? Uh, yeah. Turning into a soft cover, you know, just keeping in mind that, you know, you, you need to allow a certain margin um, in the spine area so you don't have any hidden content, any hidden word bubbles and, and stuff like that. Um, and this ties back to business. You have to plan ahead. You have to plan, okay, is this saddle stitch that I'm doing, do I want to do, what's the grand scheme of things? What are, how am I going to release it? You know, a lot of people do it in arcs, so they'll have like a three comic arc, and then they put it into a trade, which would be something like this, or they just do a straight up graphic novel. That's something you really have to consider, and that's more based on your story, but you have to prepare your files with that in mind. We have a lot of people that make the mistake of preparing files and not thinking ahead, creating awesome covers that don't have enough bleed, like Sam says, and then we have to kind of you know, uh, Jimmy Riggett. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of duct tape. <laughs> Work <know>, magic. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's kind of sad because I've, I've seen projects where, you know, you end up, the artwork's too small and they end up putting just a black border around the covers. And it's, I mean, ultimately could have looked better if they would have planned ahead or even just looked into finding a template to use. There's a lot of templates online. Um, that uh, and your printer can provide help. one. Yes, <laughs> usually printers. If you ask from printers, will give you a template. Um, but yeah, just knowing limitations and being preventative. Again, writers, you probably won't touch this stuff. But you know, the basics of of printing are um, making sure all your images and graphics are at least three hundred DPI. So when you're if you're you know, a tradi traditionalist like Renee, you know, um, and you're scanning in your artwork, make sure you're scanning it in at at least 300 DPI. 
Um, if you're building your stuff in Photoshop or Illustrator, again, make sure that your document is created at three at a minimum of 300 DPI. Um, a lot of times we'll get people that will place like a logo that may be 300 DPI, but they'll scale it up, which actually reduces the resolution. Or, um, yeah, another thing would be the, the color conversion. A lot of times people are looking at their screen and they're like, this is the color I want it. And then it gets printed and it looks nothing like it. <laughs> um, you know, I always recommend people calibrate your monitors for pre-press. It'll get it the closest possible um, that you can get to what the offset press will represent. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of hard. You're shooting in the dark if your if your monitor isn't calibrated. Um, I'm trying to think what else. How would you calibrate your monitor? Like what suggestions? That's would a you personal have? question. Really. <laughs> 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 Don't appreciate that. We'll discuss um, it later. <laughs> it depends on if you're doing PC or Mac, but. Um, you can usually, yeah, YouTube it, Google it, um, calibrating monitor for pre-press, and usually they'll go through, they'll give you the actual um, gamma settings and all the technical stuff and, and give you instructions on how to do it. Um, anything else? Maybe open it up for questions. Questions, questions. For those of you that are still awake, do you have any <laughs> questions? <laughs> Yes. Dots per inch. Wow. Oh. It's basically like your resolution. So you know how you have a 1080p TV? That's a high definition, re high resolution TV. It's You want to use the 300 DPI or even higher so that the resolution, so that the image will look clear and not blurry. That's basically. Yes. <laughs> okay. You have to stab yourself on the comic. You have to bleed you on the for your art. <laughs> yeah, you have, to, um, you, have to, you have to really bleed for your work. Yeah, you want this. <laughs> okay, so um, the whole process of the comic is um, when you create a page, you have to extend whenever there's content, background color, you know, coming to the actual trim edge of the comic you actually need to extend it a minimum of an eighth inch out past the trim line. We do this because there is a lot of variation uh, in the binding um, machines, particularly the cutting machines. Books are getting jumbled, and so there's, there's a small chance that um, your page won't be cut exactly on the trim line. Having that extra bit of information allows. Um, it's a margin of it's error. It's a margin of error, you know, so you don't have a, a white line of paper at the edge of your sheet potentially. Um, so, right. yes, yeah, so anytime that you have content coming all the way to the trim edge, you gotta make sure you extend it out past at least an eighth of an inch. And again, if you ask for a template, it's usually um, on the template. They'll, they'll mark it out for you so you know how far you need to extend the content. Yeah, as far as the bleed, like um, if you look at this cover, once you get the book, 
at the bottom, right by his feet, there's an actual board that I drew. It's just like a two by four that I drew. You don't see it on the cover here, but that was drawn, you know, in case the machine is cutting a little um, off, if it's a little, you know, not every book's gonna be perfect, but, you know, I draw little things on, you know, on the outline. There's brickwork that's drawn over here. There's a box or wires drawn up here. There's board and more garbage down here. But that's all drawn with the intention of it getting cut off. So you want to go a little past so that if the machine's cutting off for that, you know, that day for some reason, you don't lose anything. But you also got to keep in mind anything that's important, like the characters, your logo, that's got to be specifically centered in, in the middle so that that doesn't get cut off. Any other questions? One in the back here. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yes. Can we watch the YouTube? <laughs> um, but it means uh, it's independent, short for independent, basically because we publish our own books as opposed to um, another publisher publishing our books, like a, you know. So we consider ourselves Indian that we put everything into it. We're not some large publisher that, like Marvel, DC, and things like that. So it, it just became a term for uh, people like us. <laughs> <laughs> you had a question? Yeah. From the very beginning, you mean? <laughs> in a perfect world, mm. I don't know how long the writing process. I don't think there's ever been um, a time like giving. Yeah, but I mean, if you're drawing it, usually it's supposed to be, you're supposed to do like a page per day. Some artists can do up to three pages per day, fully penciled, inked. Then you have to have time for the coloring, which might take up another 30 days. So you're doing 30 days for one book, drawing it, inking it, 30 days for coloring it, then... And then you come to us, and we tell you your file is wrong, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that usually takes 24 to 72 hours, or yeah, somewhere around there, depending on the file size. You know, if you have something small like this, it's not gonna take too long. But if you have like something like this, where it's 300 pages of content, that's gonna take a lot longer to go through than that small thing there. So um, that's that's the proofing stage that we call, and you get like a, a PDF proof just for you to see, you know, where the trim line is, how your comics gonna be cut, that kind of stuff. And then um, we put it into production. Depending on the product, it can be anywhere from a couple days of actual printing and producing to a couple weeks of producing. And then since we print in Taiwan, we have to ship it on a really slow container ship, which takes 21 days. <laughs> um, so to give you a long, you know, the short version of this, it's six to eight weeks from proof approval for uh, production with anybody that's doing overseas. If they tell you quicker, then they're crazy. <laughs> and that's not going to happen. <laughs> if they tell you longer, then they're probably also crazy, but, you know. Um, but yeah, it can take anywhere from six to eight weeks, and then you always want to put a cushion. Whenever you're doing anything, you never really want to do a really hard launch date that you're not gonna hit. Cause 
you know, something happens where, okay, your files are bad or your artist is slacking and, and doesn't do what he's saying, <laughs> um, you're going you're gonna to run into trouble. You have to keep your promise of, I'm going to launch at this date. So you always want to put in some cushion. We always suggest two to three weeks of cushion and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we, we usually plan ours around conventions. So, like, we're working on a book right now that's uh, called that's actually called Tales of the Wolfman, and it's a collaborative effort with other artists that we know. And our goal is to have it for C2E2 next year. So we've already set up our deadlines. March so 28th. That we can get figure, to work. Uh, you know, figure that <laughs> all in the there, the getting this, the work from everybody, um, putting it to the printer, all that kind of stuff. So that's how we set our goals, is when do we want this book out? Yeah, and just to give you a real life um, situation that, uh, that I had, and it cost me. Um, I had a book that was going through the distribution, and the artist had forgotten to change the cover um, number from issue two to three, and that caused a huge delay. It cost me $500 to get it fixed, and so they had to notify the distributor. I had to notify the distributor. They had to notify the stores to let them know that this book is gonna be delayed. So. I mean, to answer your original question, <laughs> three to four months, <laughs> two, yes. five to six years. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah, when you have delays, I mean, it could be, you know, four to five months. So, real world, three to four months. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? We don't bite, I promise. Anybody? Originally, it was girl. It was just girl. Like, did you guys like come up with them right away, or did you like have a lot of different tries? Like, you know what I mean? Like um, well, it's kind of funny. We, I had originally. Sure, she's asking um, the characters of Wolf and Red. You're talking about how they look. Yeah. Uh, how did we come up with their look? And um, when I wrote it, I had kind of a certain look in mind, and. But I had originally presented, we had done a signing for Free Comic Book Day. And um, Art Baltazar, who a lot of people might know from All Yeah Comics and uh, um, Patrick the Wolf Boy and such, was at this signing. And, and I showed him the script because I wanted his opinion on it. And he actually drew both characters for me, what he thought. And um, so when I was you know, trying to figure out who I was going to have draw it, I kind of had his images in mind, but his wolf was more wolf. And I was looking more for a wolf man, kind of like a... Um, um, anyway, anyway, yeah, <laughs> so I was picturing more like he is now. And so that was the only difference. But girl, c or red, kind of stayed similar. But then when I turned it over to Renee, he started actually playing with the look because he knew the look I wanted. And then um, his initial looks were a little different. I'm sorry, does everybody hear me? Okay. His initial looks were a little bit different, but then this was what I was looking for. And so he arrived at what I was looking for. So it took, you know, it was a few tries, but that's the way it is with lots of characters. Like I have a picture in my head when I write it, how I want the character to look. But then when I work with the artist, sometimes they come up with something that really hits on it. I have, a, I have another character called White Knife, and it's a Native American character. and when I, I had kind of an idea how he should look, I had a description of him. Well, I worked with this one artist and he just really did a great job of creating him that 
it, that's how the character, that's who the character was then. You know, like I had a hard time with other people drawing it because this guy really nailed it. So it, it really depends. It just depends. Do you have a question back there? So uh, he asked about uh, if the DPA is too high, is there issues? Um, I'll let Sam answer this. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the higher, the better, um, especially if you're doing like an art book. Uh, we have capabilities of printing at an actual higher resolution, so it's a finer dot, um, and it's really good for like photography books. So. Higher, I mean, other than your files being massive and taking water longer to upload and download, um, there's definitely no issues with having a higher resolution. You also want to plan ahead because, like, now if you want to make that into a poster, if the image is, like, 11 by 17 and you want to blow it up to something crazy, um, if it's not high DPI, like, if you don't scan it in at 600 or 900 DPI, you're going to have to reduce the actual DPI. So you always want to plan ahead. A lot of the artists I talk to scan 600, 900, 1200 DPI, the original. So that way they have, you know, something that's extremely high resolution. And then they can take it down resolution so that, you know, we don't get a 300-page book that's like five gigs of information. That's a lot. Any other questions? So uh, the question is, why do not we? Uh, why do we not print in the states? Okay. So this is a little complicated question, but um, the price—it's basically a price issue. So in the United States, it's about thirty to 70 percent higher to print um, in the United States. Also, the minimum quantities are very high. So if you go to a company and you say, "Hey, I want to print this in the United States," you have to print at least two thousand, three thousand units, and then even at that price, it's probably still 50% higher than what we charge for 500. Um, we would love to print in the United States, but we're for the artists, we're not for the printers. You know, so whatever makes the printer, or whatever makes the artist uh, able to make more profit, we're, that's what we're about. And uh, the cool thing is when we do print in Taiwan, we're able to offer crazy amazing quality. So if you, if when, when the, this is all over, you guys can come up and see what we've printed, and then also you can grab your free copy of the book. Um, but you can see like all the different options we have. I mean, we're able to print, you know, with fabric and you know gilt edges and all all sorts of crazy stuff. Just because um, the factories we pr we partner with are very high quality, and we try to um, we try to only work with the highest quality products we can. So everything's like soy-based ink and all these crazy fancy stuff. I can go on and on. So what got us started? Okay, so <laughs> um, it, you can't probably can't see my shirt, but it says printers of cool things. Um, I was really bored of printing uh, flyers and postcards and business cards and really boring stuff like that. And I, I saw a gap in the market for people that are trying to print comic books like Renee and Dave, and I wanted to fill that gap. And that's that's basic business thing you know there's there's a demand in the market and not enough supply so we really Sam has been in the printing industry for 10 15 years <laughs> don't 
don't figure out her age from that, please. She, She'll started, tell me. she started in grade school. Yeah, in grade <laughs> school. <laughs> um, and she's printed all of that boring stuff. So it's kind of cool that we can do what we love, you know, our passion for comic books, and still have a business that's thriving and work with cool customers like Dave. Renee is okay. Thank um, you. <laughs> I'm okay. But Sam, yeah, it sounds like question. you had something to contribute. He pretty much nailed it. Yeah, I've been. I've been I'm in the, the sales guy. Can yeah. you just tell? <laughs> um, I've been in the printing industry for a very long time, <laughs> and yeah, it was you know the normal day-to-day -day marketing flyers, business cards, and um, you know this is an industry that I really enjoy. I've always been really big into art and comics, so to be able to apply that to helping independent artists and writers bring their their you know their dream to life it's it's very rewarding personally for me um and it's cool because we get to sometimes we get to actually put in our little two cents like hey this would look really cool if you did it this way or we recommend this and and uh so sometimes we get to use our creative juices a little bit <laughs> any other questions other questions writer artist uh, publisher Printing, uh, technical. My favorite color is blue. <laughs> <laughs> I'd prefer a Lamborghini. Uh, do you see yourself doing any kind of superheroes? Um, I've I've attempted that, and it just I just couldn't make it work for me. It wasn't the type of I like something more unusual. Um, as Renee said, we don't publish a lot of superhero comics. We like to look for the the more um, something that's going to stand out. And I think that there are some really good superhero comics out there, but it's really hard to stand out. And so for me, I don't foresee writing a superhero comic. Um, we may down the line publish another superhero comic if something comes along. Um, I don't know if that's in Yeah, Renee. I mean like Starbomb, Starbomb is pretty much our only superhero comic and <laughs> the artist and creator of the loves the 70s comics a lot and it really reflects in that book. Um, Dan Phillips is really amazing he's got an amazing eye when it comes to capturing what the 70s comics were you know which it's kind of his golden age of comics and, and so we, we saw that as being something different than just your typical superhero comic right and it, it's something that he had a lot of interest in it's something that he was passionate about so that's something that i could see the passion and i could see myself putting out there for people to see um, but otherwise, I don't have any superhero ideas, and I don't think Dave does. The, the cool thing about the comic book industry, you're going to find a fan base. You know, there's fans for absolutely everything. So if you're not interested in superheroes, then don't write superheroes. You know, it's, you don't have to pay fan service to everybody. You don't have to create a comic book that everybody will like. Um, if you find something that people like, then you can write about it. Then you can have an idea that, you know, okay, I like to write about spiders. I don't know. Um, here's a whole comic book about spiders. You're going to find people that are like, oh, my gosh, I love spiders too. Let me let me buy your comic book. What? <laughs> <laughs> there are some re uh, really weird people out there. I hate spiders as well. But <laughs> well, I mean, that's what actually made me write the Wolfman comic is we were at a show, and this is before The Walking Dead, and there were these guys next to us selling a comic that was about zombies. Mm -hmm. And it was called Zombie Something or Another. And frankly, it wasn't that good of a comic. Very original. But <laughs> it said zombie on it. 
And so people were going, oh, a zombie comic, you know, and they just would buy it without even really, like, flipping through it or anything. Did so it I'm have like a Wolfman in it or something? No, I don't Or was know. that someone else? I don't remember. It was just the zombie people. Oh. So I'm like, you know what? We need a horror comic. You know, that was my goal because I'm thinking horror is really big. And we, that, that, you know, I'm thinking more, like, business-wise. Let's get a horror comic out there. So I actually set out to write a true horror comic about a werewolf. And it just wasn't working for me. And then I just had this <laughs> vision of uh, of a more cartoony style, and I loved it, and so I just ran with that instead. So I was kind of swayed by the whole thing of like, hey, they're selling zombie comics like crazy. Let's write a horror comic. And as Jacob said, yeah, you know, people do like that kind of stuff, but you you should stick with what you really want to do. You know, what what feels good to you and what you want to put out. Don't don't be swayed by the industry. And that would be kind of the same thing with the superhero stuff. You know. Most people associate comic books with superheroes, so you're thinking, oh, I, I got to do a superhero comic because that's what people want to see. Go with your gut. Go with what you really want to write because then you're going to enjoy it while you're doing it, not just Because really there's going to be a lot of I really struggled time. with coming up with that horror comic. I was really wanted something different about a werewolf, and it just wasn't working. And then all of a sudden, this came in my head, and boom, I was writing it like crazy. So that's my advice anyway. <laughs> That's a great question. So she asked, what's the minimum print run? Um, with us, since we're offset printing, ours is 500 uh, units. Um, and that's because there's a lot of setup costs uh, that are associated with offset printing. These machines are, I mean, uh, the factory could be as big as this library, could be as big as this L build, whole L building. You know, the, the machines are gigantic that uh, you need to hardcover, you need to do saddle stitch, there's all sorts of different machines. So it really does uh, take a lot of time and effort to actually put print these. So they do uh, require 500 print minimum, which sounds like a lot, but as you start uh, selling stuff, you know, it makes a lot more sense. What we usually suggest, um, if you're looking at anything over 200 units, you wanna look at offset printing versus digital printing. You know, at 200 units and below, it might still make sense to do a digital run. Um, and like I said, it's all about your budget too. You know, if you're doing a Kickstarter project and you get 500 backers, you're gonna have to do offset. If you get a do a Kickstarter project and you only get 50 backers, maybe you can do digital. You know, great question. Any more? I think we're all. Well, thanks everybody for coming. Thank you so much, Thank guys. You. Don't forget your free comic.